Episode 12 of the Stay the Course Leadership Podcast. My name is Justin Brown. I'm joined with my co-host Marcus Williams. Marcus, Merry Christmas. How you doing? Christmas week here. How are things going in the Williams household? Merry Christmas, my man. It's it's going swell. Very good. We got some seasonal cheesecakes, you know, simmering in the oven. And for me, this is one of my favorite times of year. And it really has nothing to do about Christmas. It, it's just the fact that it gives us a good time to step back and just reflect on what was and, and, and what is coming. And to me, I, I like to always zero base things, start back at ground one and just kind of see, you know, where can we go? So it, it's been cool to have some time to just reflect on the past year, man, and think about moving forward and what I want to do the same, what I want to do different. Yeah, it's so good. I completely agree. This is one of my favorite times of the year. Obviously you get the holidays, you got, family gatherings, all that good stuff, but there is this, this nice zone of reflection and looking forward of wrapping up the year, but then also trying to hit the next year with some, some momentum and direction and, and things like that. And so today we're going to get into a topic, you know, we've been going through this day, of the course uh, principles of leaders who last, and, and here we are in our fourth episode of this series. And we're going to key in on one principle that, that we both believe in strongly is the ability for a leader to play the long game. And so I want to kick it to you as we, we get started here and and I want you to kind of just talk a little bit about the, how, how this perspective, you know, versus a mindset when, when this comes out for playing the long game. I think this is a, a phrase that's thrown around a lot, um, but I think you've got some interesting thoughts here. I'd love to kick it to you on, on uh, how this is a perspective of playing the long game. Man, you know how I feel about this one. You know, it's huge. What the listeners don't know is we had to push the recording back. I told you I had to get my mind right for the, it's true. <laughs> this episode because yeah. it just... I knew we, there was so much we could hit with. And I was like, man, I need another 24 hours to kind of process this. Yep. And for me, I would say this may be the most important principle we have, but I think it's positioning is perfect because there, there needs to be some things that happen before we get here. But when we do get here and we start thinking about playing the long game, a lot of times when we hear that, the gut response is just to like, the mentality, you know, grind it out, keep working, keep rolling, just stay steady. But really, as a young leader, I think life happens so fast. These things come at us so quickly. And when you give yourself the opportunity to play the long game, what you're doing is you're giving yourself more time to think about these decisions wholly and say, hey, this is this feels like an in-the-moment decision, but what would this mean as a 10-year decision, a 15-year decision, a 20-year decision? And when you do that, it really changes up the dynamics on the front end. It's going to force you to kind of evaluate things a little differently. You know, that nice retirement you think you have in this job, like what's the present value of that if this other opportunity was going to lead to something that was going to be a little different, but could hit just as hard a little later? Like, when you really start looking over the the course of the life of something, it's a game changer in terms of the freedom it gives you to make decisions now that could change everything mm. later. I know we were just talking about, I mean, you experienced that firsthand at work, Justin, and how they were talking about a decision that they made yeah. 13 years ago is really what is uh, keeping, keeping the roof on the place yeah. now, man. Yeah, I can give some context there. So, you know, I work at a, a small college and, and uh, you know, from about 20, 
2010 on, all colleges of this size throughout the country are, are you know, navigating just, just big decisions like, you know, in, in the context of will this place continue or will it just be a fun chapter that once was? And I was in a meeting uh, last week and, you know, chatting with some higher ups in the university and, and someone brought up the point that, uh, you know, back about 13 years ago, they decided to launch uh, an academic program, nursing, that uh, at the time was a major, major investment, like a risky investment. You're already, you know, kind of struggling and just trying to make it work and, and to make a huge investment, like you better hit is what it really is. Like you better, this better work. And uh, 13 years later, it's the leading program uh, at the university. It's it's really the only thing that is keeping it rolling. It's, you know, it's an awesome uh, thing, but we were reflecting in this meeting that, you know, it took 13 years for the dust to settle on that. And then to find out like, man, that decision 13 years ago, uh, you know, was a short-term loss to get all of it go rolling. And eventually it's, it's the, one of the biggest drivers of the place thriving and surviving uh, to this day. Had they not launched it, I heard one of the VPs in the meetings say that if we did not launch nursing 13 years ago, the place may not be existing. (laughs) And, And it got me thinking, uh, and I'd love to kind of kick this back to you, Marcus, and some of your thoughts. But you know, in any environment, whether it's your own career or whatever thing you're leading, um, the ability to, to pause and go, what what key decisions are in front of us here uh, that that can shape the trajectory of the next 13 to 15 years? I know, uh, you know, it's taken some time to train my mind to think like that, to think that long term, to think, hey, you know, you know, we, I want to see change in the in the immediate next year, two years, three years, but you know, some decisions you, you don't see the, the end result for a, a ways down the road, you know, and, and when you're facing decisions or you're navigating that as a leader in your career and in, in your workplace, you know, what, what kind of perspectives could you give to some young emerging leaders about decision-making and how to go about that, you know, in, in the best way possible? Yeah. I think what we really need to hone in on is have everyone appreciate what's really going on here. What we're talking about is relinquishing our will for God's will and not trying to just force our will in these situations, because that's really when we start talking about instant gratification Mm -hmm. versus delayed gratification, like that's ultimately what we're talking about. We, We all feel the tension of wanting to do now what we want versus allowing God to guide us in the direction that we need to go and just trust and believe mm. that over the course of his time, everything's going to work out the way it needs to work out. And that's kind of our foundational passage here. And it starts out, it hits the nail on the head. It says, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. The sufferings, that, that is, that's what we're trying to resist here when we, mm. we make these quick win decisions in the moment of emer- as emerging leaders, because we wanted to seize this opportunity. We don't want to feel the pain if we miss this once in a lifetime opportunity, or we're never going to get a chance to do this thing again. So we just, we just react, boom, boom, boom. And then we look up and the, over the course of time, there was really no compounding of those activities because we didn't think it all the way through. We didn't just take the time to say, let me think bigger, you know, because we know God, like that's how he works in these huge, fast visions. Like, let, let me truly believe that he's going to take me where I need to go. And if that's the case, what needs to happen right now? Because in, you know, I'm 
kind of grew up in the fitness world. And I tell people mm-hmm. like time is the most underappreciated variable. People talk about like, well, how can I increase the, te- the intensity? I'm like, well, just keep doing it. By definition, that's increasing the intensity. Like keep doing the same thing day in and day out. And lo and behold, you have those craters in your abdominals. That's how the Grand Canyon was made. That's how your abs is going to get made. Now, there's no workout we can slice and dice here in this one day that's going to change your life. But you'll change your life if you keep doing these workouts over time and just being consistent with it. And it, it is it is so hard. And we were talking about this before we got on the air. Like we've all felt the urgency of the once in a lifetime deal, whether it's yep. the, the, the car you're about to buy for $500 yep. less than it'll ever be, or the house you're going to get for, you know, the lowest, the, the market's only going up or the job opportunity that will probably never come around again. We, we all feel frantic when those come and like, Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. like I, I really need to, I need to do this. I need to seize this. But at the end of the day, man, like they're going to keep coming and the opportunities are going to be just as good as the ones before, because that's how God works. Like all his opportunities are created equal. We we just got, we have to give ourselves the perspective to evaluate them and figure out which one is appropriate for us now. I love, you know, you touched on this idea of compounding and I'd love to kind of key in on that a little bit, because I, I think that's so critical when all, all of these external, you know, we, we get obsessed with the one thing. This is the one opportunity. This is the one, you know, make or break moment. This is the one, you know, chance of a lifetime. And, and you know, that really flies in the face of, of I think, really what's at the heart of our uh, work and stay the course is, is we're not really concerned with the one thing. We're, we're concerned with uh, the compounding development, the marginal gains, the the one percent better, the the just chipping away day in and day out. You mentioned fitness. You know, I'm into running, and I'm I'm doing a lot of running over the last two years, and and uh, with marathons, and, and really committing to to seeing some gains there. And uh, you know, we've had many conversations, and you, you were you know telling me the same thing of time, and time is the asset. Well, I was I was doing some research, and there's a really a uh, successful running coach, uh, you know, he, he's division one level, trains a lot of pro marathoners. And, you know, he had kind of concise, you know, created a concise framework for uh, development in running is essentially uh, guarantee yourself three runs a week. Uh, the, the first two midweek run hard and fast, make sure you're pushing your, your, your uh, threshold. And then on Sunday uh, run two hours or 20 miles, whichever comes first. And here's the kicker though. He said, do that for two years and you'll improve your time. <laughs> two years. <laughs> and, and, you know, the running community, the fitness community, what, leadership community, wherever we're at, careers driven, all that jazz. We don't think in those terms. We don't think it's give me the plan. Give me the I want the one opportunity, the one thing that's going to make or break The it's not, hey, commit to this and and just execute it for years. And you know, I think of, uh, you know, something we've talked about a lot is. This, this idea that we can overestimate what we can get done in one year and we underestimate drastically what we can get done in 10 years. We don't think in 10 year increments very often. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that, but just this idea of compounding and, and how that works and fitness and finance and business and leadership and all these areas, you know, touch, touch on this a little bit. Hey man, it's Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha. He, he blew my mind, just changed the game when he said compounding Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. And, you know, we think about it in terms of 
our money and finances, but that applies to everything in life. Yep. And I think it's funny you talk about the the story of the the, the trainer and how they said the, the two year commitment. And I think if people say, "Man, how did you become so good as a trainer in the fitness world?" I said, "Well, I just stopped working with the people that weren't willing to commit three years. They would come to me and say, "Man." I want to lose some weight. I say, well, come back to me and tell me how much you want to weigh three years from now. He's like, three years from now, but like, if you can't tell me how much you want to weigh three years from now, I can't work with you, but I can guarantee you, I can get you to be whatever you want to be three years from now. So the people that weren't ready for that, they went on their way. The people that were, they stay and you get the results. And it's just like, that's how it happens, man. And we just, compounding goes both ways. And it starts with understanding where you're going. And just committing to those marginal gains. And I tell people, I'm all about marginal gains. I'm not about marginal thinking. Because when we think marginally, we, we don't consider all of the variables that go into play. Because then you just start thinking about positionally. Yep. I'm here right now. What can I do to like marginally improve my position? And you're not thinking in terms of everything that you need to consider if you weren't even in that position, the sunk cost, the opportunity cost, everything that goes into it. But once you're on that path that God has set you on, there's nothing more glorious than the baby step forward and then the next baby step forward. And then you just keep rolling. And and you have to believe like I'm of the mindset that I wholeheartedly believe that I'm going to get wherever I think I'm going. But a part of that belief comes in heavy, heavy, heavy consultation with God, because I know that if it's just all, it's about me, my desires and my will, I don't even know where that's going to lead. But I know if it's me and him in tandem, and I feel like it's him kind of nudging me and stewarding me along this path, like I I fully believe it and I'll commit to it. It don't matter how long it is because I'm going to be wherever he wants me to be. And that's where I want to be. So if it, let's go, let's go 15, 20 years and we're, we're going to get there or I'm going to get up there with him and it's going to be a win either way. Absolutely. It, it, so as I'm hearing you talk, there's one thing that I think could come out that, that if we had a, a room full of, you know, we could bring our listeners in and, and have this be just a big dialogue, which maybe we should do sometime. I think that'd be fun. But I think there might be one thing that can hold people back from, from jumping in on a journey like this and thinking that long-term and thinking that delayed in terms of the, the results. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Marcus, but I think there, there is a hesitancy sometimes because we can feel like none of the outcomes are guaranteed. And I'm down to commit to 10 years. I'm down to do all that. Um, I'm down to, to, to play the long game, but what, what may, be something that that can hold me back is this idea that I'm going to invest all that time and I'm not going to even be guaranteed the outcomes or the results that, that I think there might be something, someone maybe listen to this and I would ask them, are you relying on a guarantee that things will work out before you fully invest in this path, this, this path of development? And uh, what would you say about the, you know, this guarantee component to this dynamic that we're talking about? And, and, you know, if you had to, to talk to someone and, and, and give some perspective on on how to tackle that belief, because no doubt, I, I guarantee there's people who listen to this that are they're like, I'm down for that. But, you know, what would be a shame is investing all this time and coming up empty. And that could feel like a waste of time to people. And, and kind of what, what would your challenge be to that? I would I would have to say, man, we got to sit down and start talking about the difference between trust and confidence, because if you're telling me that you're not willing 
to dive into something without a full understanding of what the outcomes are going to be. I say, well, you, you lack all confidence because see trust, trust is when you know the constraints of the situation. I trust this is going to happen because these are the rules of the game and I can trust this or that. But confidence is saying that I believe in the best and I'm going to walk forward and continue to believe in the best. And it doesn't matter what comes from this. I'm going to continue to hold steady to my belief and confidence that this is going to work out. And you don't need any assurances when you're confident. And that that's really what it comes down to. If you're feeling like you need some assurances, I'm going to say, settle back in, dig in to the word a little bit, and let God's confidence start to just splash all over you. And then you'll fully appreciate how disrespectful it is to him for you to not step foot on the path he set before you. Like that, that just doesn't... Mm that just doesn't equate in, in our language that we're talking and what we're sitting here trying to teach people on it. You just, it, you can't have that. I love it. We got, we got coach Marcus coming out here, coming hot. The other thing I, I think when we get into a dialogue like this, that I would challenge some listeners with is when you're committing to a path like this, it, it really does bring to the surface some motives. And, and, and I think one way to filter a lot of this is to ask yourself, is the thing you're chasing going to be relevant in 15 years anyway? I think long game perspective can can purify a lot of things. What what's even going to matter in your life 15 years from now? What what do you want to matter in your life 15 years from now? And I think as you start to filter through some of those things, you can kind of start to see, ah, this is really just something in the moment that at this time in my life that I think is so important, but won't be important eventually. And that can that can lend us to this short term, you know, kind of ego driven, outcome driven uh, pursuits. And, and so I think, you know, that's something I, w- I would challenge listeners is what what are you even chasing you know, to, to commit to a path like this? What are you wanting in 15 years? Is, is some is it even going to matter down the road? And, and Marcus, I love your thoughts on that as well. Uh, how do you define these things that you're saying? Hey, I want this value system down the road. I want I want these outcomes down the road when I'm. 40 and I'm 50 and I'm 60 because a lot of what we're talking about here is really, in my opinion, uh, building to who are you going to be at 75 years old? What, who are you going to be at 75 years old? Not necessarily what are you going to be all, uh, you know, what kind of size, size house kind of car it's who are you going to be at 75 years old that we're getting at here? What, what kind of thoughts come to your mind on that area, Marcus? Yeah, man, I, I think that's a, a game changing reflective question. I think what happens especially for our emerging leaders, is we just live life in the micro. We're just inundated with these minuscule, small, real-time, rapid decisions that we're always making about this next best thing. And we don't take enough time to, to really reflect on the macro trends and what's really relevant. Because I feel like if you could wholly answer the question of what's going to be relevant 15 years from now, it would give you so much freedom and understanding that whatever those decisions you were heavily weighing right now, they don't even matter because you could do any of those. As long as you do it the way you know you need to do it, you're going to, it's going to matter 15 years from now. So it's not even about the optics of the decision. It's about how you're going to handle yourself whenever you choose these decisions. Because again, what we're not, we're not trying to say that you got to find that one thing and stick to that one thing. What we're trying to say is you need to start changing the way you're looking at all your things and look at all your things for the little bit broader, longer perspective 
And what you realize is all those things are relevant things as long as you're doing those things in a way that matters. 100%. And if you're if you listen to this and you're kind of like, man, you know, this is all great stuff, but I'm curious about, you know, a real life example. And, and uh, you know, one story that continues to come up when we talk on this topic and, and I've shared with teams and groups and leaders I'm involved with it. And I mentioned in the book is the story of Swin Nader. If you're not familiar with this name or who this person is, it's worth a Google search at the very least. Um, it's, it's worth getting the book and diving into his story because what you see in the story of Swin Nader and his time at UCLA basketball is one of the purest examples of someone kind of elevating the decision-making process and thinking more long-term than short-term. And the story, quick story of it is, is uh, he comes to UCLA at the peak of the, the Bruins dynasty under John Wooden. Uh, and, and John Wooden basically promises them, hey, you can come here, um, but you're literally never going to play. Like we've got Bill Walton, the best center in the country. Um, yeah, I can't guarantee you a single minute of playing time, but here, here's what I can guarantee you. You're, you're going to practice and develop and play alongside Bill Walton, the best center in the country. And I can guarantee that our coaching staff is going to be fully committed to making you better. So he decides to go to the UCLA and, uh, he, he goes there and, and literally true to his word, uh, John Wooden, his promise, he literally never starts a game for the Bruins. He never, he never plays like he, he gets hardly any time and Bill Walton gobbles up all the minutes and uh, he's literally a bench warmer for UCLA, even though he's a junior college All-American and, and a great center. Uh, you know, the story goes on, to give you the brief version, Swin Nader ends up getting drafted in the first round. Uh, and the year after, Bill Walton gets drafted number one overall. So you have at the same position, two of the best centers in the country, two first-round draft picks in, in professional basketball. And Swin Nader is faced with this, hey, do I, do I in the short term, do I submit my ego and just say I'm committed to where I'm going long-term? So he goes in the NBA, has a professional career. It's, that's a life-altering trajectory there from a financial standpoint, life standpoint, personal development standpoint, all of that. He could have gone somewhere else and played and done his thing, but he would not have been able to be in a system like that's going to develop him and be alongside someone who's going to challenge him on a daily basis. And, and so, Marcus, I'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, we've talked about this story a lot, but you know, this, this dynamic of someone in the short term saying, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go backwards a little bit here. And, and I, because I know in the long term this, this is going to play out in my favor. And, and he didn't have any guarantees in the moment. We know that kind of revisionist history. We know how it plays out. But if you imagine Swinator didn't know that he just, he's like, I'm just going, I'm going to do this thing. What kind of thoughts come to your mind in that as we wrap up here and, and kind of land the plan with playing the long game. But when you think of Swin Nader and, and what, what kinds of takeaways would you give to some emerging leaders listening to this? I think it's a prime example that someone that didn't that didn't flinch and overreact when that once in a lifetime opportunity presented itself. You know, Swin was a a reflective, introspective, you know, he he knew what he needed. He knew his values. He knew what was important to him. And he made a decision based on what was going to help the inner version of him flourish in life. And he he knew that by building that up, wherever he went next stage in life, professionally, he was going to be all right. But if you don't have that confidence that we talked about earlier, you'll ne no way, no way you're going to run and you're going to grab the bag and you're just going to go. You'll probably pull a hammy on the way. Like you won't even stand a chance because you don't have the confidence that 
transformational leaders are gifted when they commit to this long, suffering, persevering, character building, hope giving mm. process. That's it. When I when I hear you describe that, and as we unpack that, and we'll wrap up kind of with this, but I hear I think of one word of what you're describing in a profile here, and that's the word composure. And, uh, you know, you played college football. I'm a huge college football fan, but I think you can see a big difference in quarterbacks. <laughs> when, uh, the, some quarterbacks can be skittish, a little jumpy. They're, they're afraid of contact. They're, they're you know, they're, they're kind of overanalyzing situations. But the, the great ones at all levels, whatever level they're at, that are great at that level, they have a sense of composure, this, this ability for chaos to be happening around them but not in them. They're, they're composed. And, and as we wrap up here, I would love to kind of get, hear your thoughts. If you could, could kind of summarize one way for a young leader to build composure, one activity, one, one perspective, one practice, one discipline, and there, we could make a long list. We could probably do a whole podcast on just this subject, but if you had to dub down here, here's, here's the Marcus Williams tip for developing composure uh, in leadership in life. And uh, what, what would you say? Hmm. Mm, that's great. And I'm going to leave it with this one liner. It's something, it's a point we wanted to make during this podcast. I think it's the perfect time to make it. To develop composure, first, you need to get in the habit of letting things settle. Mm. You know, don't make a decision until a decision has to be made. Tom Brady's not freaking out when he's walking up to that line. He's looking, he's letting that defense get into their situation. They're getting settled. Then he says, all right, boys, this is what we're doing because I see what the landscape looks like. Life is no different. You got to let things settle and you're going to be forced to make a decision at some point as you keep walking. Make it then. Make it then. But be thinking about all the things that weigh into your decision making process up until that point. Then you'll, you'll have that composure. You'll be poised and you'll be able to play the long game. That's it right there. And uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Merry Christmas to everyone who's who's tuning in here. And uh, thanks for joining us here as we, we continue to go through this series of the principles of leaders who last and, and a very, very important one here and the ability to play the long game. Let's build some composure, let things settle. Uh, we, we love you. We'll, we'll see you again next time. Let this be in my dreams.